Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And I'm so excited to be here today. Thank you again for tuning in to the Firetime Podcast. Now, today's episode is a special one, and it is going to be all about NSPS. And you know what that means for folks is that this is about the new source performance standards that are going to be taking effect on May 15th, 2020 on wood burning and pellet appliances. And this is a huge deal for our industry, and it's such a big deal. And with the deadline being almost a year away to the date, I wanted to do an episode dedicated to this because... There is rampant misinformation that's being spread about the NSPS, and I felt like I wanted to get guests that really understood the stakes that were at hand, but could also speak very practically, very evenly and level-headed to what we can do as retailers, distributors, and manufacturers to survive and thrive in spite of the NSPS. Now, You guys may realize this, but this episode came out on a Monday, where normally the podcast episodes come out on a Tuesday. And actually, it's funny, the reason they come out on Tuesdays is because back in the day when I used to play in a punk band, we always had our records and songs and announcements come out on Tuesdays. I guess we just thought that was the industry standard. And so when I started the podcast, I just decided to do the same thing. But the reason why this is coming out on Monday is because tomorrow... Tuesday, May 7th, when the podcast would normally release, I'm actually going to be a part of a Facebook Live discussion with Rachel Feinstein from the HPBA, Grant Falco from Falco's in Spokane, and then Chris Neufeld from Blaze King. And I did not want to distract from that Facebook Live event with this podcast because that Facebook Live is so critically important. So in today's conversation, you're going to get five practical tips to help you survive and thrive in spite of the impending NSPS, but I know you're going to have questions afterwards. So tomorrow, May 7th at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern, there is going to be a Facebook Live Q&A where you can write in your questions and we'll answer those live. So I know that today is going to stir the pot and get you thinking about all kinds of things, tune in tomorrow. Now, I'm going to give you a couple web addresses to do that. If you want to register for the event today, go to the website itsfiretime.com slash NSPS, and there's a big, bold link right there that says click here to RSVP for the Facebook Live Q&A. That website is itsfiretime.com slash NSPS, and just click that link to RSVP. Now, say that it's tomorrow morning and you don't have time to RSVP, but you want to catch the live feed. Tomorrow morning, go to facebook.com slash HPBA page. That's facebook.com slash HPBA page. And you're going to be able to see that live broadcast. So this is a topic that is a huge deal. I do not want to understate that. And I think that this conversation is going to be critical to help you guys really understand what is true and what is false. But even more importantly, what do I need to do to survive and thrive in spite of the impending NSPS? So with that, I'm going to kick it over to the interview. You are going to love this conversation. We'll circle back at the end and talk about it. Joining me from the state of Washington are two amazing guests. We've got return guests to the show, Grant Falco, the owner of Falco's in Spokane. And then all the way from Walla Walla, Washington, we have the vice president of Blaze King, Chris Neufeld, or being true to his German heritage, Chris Neufeld. How are you guys doing today? 
Doing very well, thank you. Doing excellent, Tim. Good. Well, hey, I am so glad to have you guys on the show. Today's topic is critically important. We are going to have a conversation about NSPS. And this is something that for a little while I've been hearing about. And frankly, there is all kinds of misinformation that's going on. And this affects everybody. I mean, dealers, distributors, manufacturers, it's a big deal. And the reason that we're having this conversation now is that basically a year and a week from today is the deadline, where after that, every wood burning and pellet burning product that is being sold has got to meet the new EPA standards. And I felt like with all the rampant misinformation and you've got negativity and panic on one hand, on the other hand, you've got this ridiculous optimism of, hey, it's just all going to go away and nothing's going to change. I wanted to be able to bring in two guests that have the information and the facts that can be a steady, reasonable voice for the industry to listen to. So I'm thankful, number one, that you guys are here. And Grant, obviously, you're a retailer in a big rural area. NSPS is a big deal to you, right? Oh, absolutely. We've been uh, we've been on this for about a year now, it seems like. And Chris, since you're new to this podcast, can you talk about how has the NSPS journey affected you and why have you jumped so far into this? Well, it was several years ago. It was actually November 17th of 2009 that the very first uh, meetings were started on the discussion about a review of the new source performance standards, NSPS. And uh, I attended that very first meeting in November of 2009, so it's been nearly a decade. And uh, we had industry there. We had HPBA, our, our wonderful trade association there, representing the interests of all members and the industry, as well as state and federal regulators. And it was at that meeting that federal government indicated that there was going to be a review of the standards. Yeah. And, and I'm just shocked as this goes on, how many different stories we're getting about this. And the reason that we're doing this is probably, I don't know, Four months ago, five months ago, we put together a guide for dealers that was called Five Things You Need to Survive NSPS. And I think for me, the, the way that I work is I'm, I feel like I'm ridiculously practical. I'm not the smartest person that's out there. I just want to know, hey, what are the facts and what do I need to do about it? And so for me, it was so important to put this guide together for dealers because dealers are very often so far removed from these conversations that happen. I feel like some as manufacturers, because you're more on the front lines of having to be regulated and adhere to codes and standards, you are very often much more on top of this than dealers who are very insulated from it. And so it's really important to me to figure out, look, there are five basic things here that if, if we can just understand them, I think that that's going to give us a framework to be able to survive the NSPS. And that that free PDF that we sent out got so much good feedback. I was like, well, let's bring on Grant and Chris and let's dive a little bit deeper into this. So I'm really thankful for that. And we're just going to jump right into it. So NSPS is a big deal. It is coming a year and a week from today. It will be here. But if you can understand these five things, your business can survive. And I would argue thrive in spite of NSPS. So number one, we need to believe the facts and not the hype. Chris, I'm going to kick it over to you. What are the facts about NSPS? The facts are in the absence of anything else, you have to have step one heater sold by May 15th of 2020. And Chris, can you define step one versus step two requirements? So step one heaters were certified and had to be uh, between 4.5 and under grams per hour if they were non-catalyst. And then the, the numbers were different for cat's dose. They were 2.5 or less. 
And, and when we migrated with the new rule, we got rid of a bifurcated standard, meaning one standard for secondary combustion, also known as non-cat stoves, and catalyst stoves, and we came to a single number. And that single number is 2.0 on crib fuel testing as of May 15th of 2020, or 2.5 on cordwood testing. So you're asking, what are the facts? Three weeks yeah, ago, facts. I was on the, uh, the Kenai Peninsula of Alaska. I walked into two different showrooms, and in both of those showrooms, within 24 hours, I heard a retailer say to me, my rep from XYZ company told me I should burn a fire in these stoves and make them into used stoves, oh and then I would be able to sell those as used stoves. Factually, that's not accurate. Distributors and, and uh, retailers, under the rule, are referred to as commercial owners. In order for you to sell a wood stove, that is a used wood stove, it has to have a chain of non-commercial ownership. That means it has to have been owned by somebody other than the business. And I think that it's crazy that this information is spreading. Grant, have you heard things like that too about NSPS? You know, I feel like um, the the hype through uh, manufacturers, distributors, it, it just comes from a, 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 a new situation that we're not exactly sure how to handle, and it, and it comes from hope. Uh, but I think us as retailers definitely have to be, uh, you know, ahead of this and finding out. And and I'll take a little time to speak to HBBA and government affairs because this really came to light for me uh, a couple years ago because uh, I started to see the value in the two-hour government affairs thing at Northwest HPBA. I started to see that that was my crystal ball, and I started to get a little bit scared slash you know nervous. And but that's what's prepared us to be down to uh, less than fifty wood appliances and ready to go into next fall as prepared because I'm I'm fearful of just the wood market in general and we'll speak more to that down the, down the road and I think that here's the truth guys is that there are two extremes going on here so you know the extreme number one is hey the sky is falling panic our industry is over but the other extreme and I would argue the more dangerous one because it's what I see is People spreading misinformation about, hey, don't worry, just place your early buy. Things are going to be fine. You know, HPBA has got this and it's not going to be happening. And both of those extremes are so deadly. I mean, because they're because they're both wrong and they, they, they both will cripple your business. I think it's important that you got to stay the course of, you know, what are we going to do about this? Like the fact is it's here. It's a regulation and we can argue back and forth as to whether the new products are that much better than the old ones that they're replacing. But that's a different conversation. The fact is that the legislation has been made and we just have to run our businesses in accordance with that. I think the other piece of misinformation is that the HPBA has been doing nothing. So this is kind of funny, but basically four months ago, when this uh, free PDF went out to the industry, we had somebody write the HPBA that was just hearing about NSPS for the first time. And they wrote, well, what have you been doing about this for the last few years? <laughs> and it's like, are you kidding me? Like, you know, just like Chris said, right, there's been lawsuits, there's been lobbying, there's been legislative work, and it hasn't panned out the way that we hoped it would. But it's not like nothing was being done about this. And if you haven't had your head under a rock for the last few years, you would know that, right? Well, certainly you have to keep two th a couple of perspectives in mind there. Not everybody who sells hearth products is an HPBA member. So there are those people out there that when I walk into the showrooms, and I visit somewhere between 175 and 225 showrooms every year. I'm on the road 250 to 300 days a year. And um, a great deal of those places are not HPBA members. I wish they were, 
They certainly would be aware of what's going on if they had been a member. Um, but, you know, if, if there are just people out there that aren't aware of NSPS and you walk in. Um, I, I was telling Grant pre previously, last week I was in Salt Lake area and I walked into a showroom and there was a, a uh, uh, an exempt pellet heater on a showroom floor. Um, they didn't know that they weren't supposed to be having that on their floor. Uh, they immediately removed it. But the point I'm trying to make here is, is that HPBA has, for the better part of at least two years, going on three, handed out uh, flyers at Expo. They've also uh, done tons of emails. Yeah, I mean, speaking to that, Tim, I want to, you know, uh, getting in the last few years a little bit more involved into the HPBA, I just want to say it's 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 actually incredible what the HPBA is doing and has done and tried to do. And it's uh, sad on a personal level for me to see the people in there fighting so hard uh, to not get maybe the extension and everything. But that doesn't mean that they weren't in there fighting. It doesn't mean that they weren't in there doing everything that they could. And I've been quite impressed with that group. And uh, I, I just wanted to share that uh, as my own personal experience. That's absolutely right. So the truth is, those are the facts. I mean, if your stoves are not under 2.5 cordwood or 2.0 cribwood, there's nothing you can do. You can't sell them. Correct. And, and we need to add an additional clarification. And that is for retailers that have stoves on their floor and they look at the grams per hour, a, two, a stove that is 2.0 or less grams per hour isn't necessarily 2020 compliant. Unfortunately, that was tested under method 28. So when the rule came out, they modified the method. They put a little R after the 8 in 28, R meaning revised. And now as a manufacturer, you have to recertify that appliance to the revised standard. That's crazy. So it is crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. It's so much money that's got to be dumped into that. It speaks to the misinformation. I mean, it's confusing. There's so many different angles to this that have to be communicated and so many things that have happened. And at one time, it's then a few months later changed again. And I think that's really a struggle for our industry and, and the retailers keeping up. So I think that, you know, Tim, I really appreciate you having this podcast because I think the facts need to be known. They need to be known now, uh, one year and a week ahead of time so that we can be preparing a little bit better. Well, you're absolutely right. And if we believe the facts and not the hype, I think that we're all better for it. And Chris, you just laid out those facts. All right. So moving on, Number two out of these five things is this, is prepare your 2020 inventory now. Grant, I want to kick it to you because this is something that you are very vigilant on. Yeah, Tim, you know, I feel like sometimes I'm, I am the sky is falling person. Uh, and, and, and this, this NSPS thing is really, it startled me a year ago. It, it, it got me nervous. And uh, the first thing that I think any retailer, what we need to do as retailers or anybody in the industry is we need to seek information on this. We need to be skeptical. We need to understand what is truly happening and where are we and what do we need to be doing as a business and what do we need to be doing uh, in working with the other people in our industry to get this done. So I say the first thing you need to do and what we did was seek information to understand. Chris, you've been an absolutely huge asset for me in, in that regard, uh, along with the government affairs part of the HVBA. Um, and so seek information to understand. The second thing is, is you have to truly understand your inventory. If you just listen to Chris and what he said about the facts, man, how many different criterias, and, and depending on how you inventory and how you stock, I've heard people with 80 units still left. 
and retailers we're not the only ones with units left so the plan to the plan has to be put in place right now so coming up and understanding your inventory what you have what truly is uh certified for 2020 and what's not and coming up with a plan in how you're ordering purchasing uh, i mean we basically have rules on full down full deposits on non-certified product after july 1st of this year and certain things that are going to keep us fluid now after I remove this inventory, I plan on working with our manufacturers to remove the rest of the inventory, distributors. My fear uh, in doing this is that not enough of us have done this and we have an excess inventory that's almost impossible to get rid of. So I think as a retailer, it's really important to understand what is going on, really understand your inventory and prepare that inventory for sale, and then put a plan of attack right now to get rid of it. And then you have to work with your distributor and manufacturer because you're going to turn them into competitors if we do not. And what were you going to say, Chris? Recently, meaning last few months, I was in the state of Wisconsin. A retailer had just taken in into stock some brand new heaters from a manufacturer. They had them on the floor. They weren't even off the pallets yet. And the dealer was very pleased that these units were 2020 approved units. In fact, the labeling on them was not 2020 approved units. The manufacturer had retested the units, but these particular units look just identical visually to the original unit. And in fact, they materially could be the same unit, but they were tested to 28R for 2020 compliance. What happened? They got inventory from a warehouse. That inventory from the warehouse were step one versions of that heater. So they basically took into stock with the understanding that they were 2020 they were actually from inventory of a warehouse, a distributor, what have you. So that retailer put it to me very strongly that for this point forward, she would only put on her purchase orders that she would only accept 2020 compliant heaters. Wow. To, Gra- to Grant's point, uh, it's very important that the, ma- that the retailers work with the distributors to help them move that step one inventory as well. That has to be dealt with. And if you don't support your distributor and you don't support the manufacturers on their step one heaters, um, as Grant said, you could turn them into competitors or worse. Yeah, they may not they may not survive this this overhaul. That's so. absolutely right. We got to have a two way conversation here because it affects everybody. I mean, distributor, manufacturer, dealer. Well, let's 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 start here. If we're getting really practical on this, the you know the dealer is ideally the source that this is going through. So dealers got to get their ducks in a row first so that then the distributors, manufacturers can start offloading inventory through them. So if you're a dealer, you know, right now I would say take this month and plan out sales incentives for the rest of the year. So number one, inventory everything that you have, figure out how many wood inserts, how many wood stoves, how many cast iron, how many steel, how many soapstone, you know, whatever kind of material these stoves are made out of. But what what are you going to do to create sales incentives to get these things out the door for the rest of the year? And then I would start making phone calls to distributors and manufacturers saying, hey, I'm working on my inventory program. What can we do to work together to minimize risk but get this product moving? To the issue about managing what's going on on the showroom floor, let me share an idea that came from a dealer, A1 Stoves in California. Yeah. Excellent stop, story. Blue dot, green dot, he calls it. Um, what he's done is basically he's – gone to a thrift store or a a dollar store and he's obtained these little yard sale stickers that are round to the shape of a uh, a, like a dime size sticker 
Everything that's on the showroom floor and inventory that has to go, he's put a green dot on it to go. And a blue dot is for anything that meets 2020. It's cool. It can stay on the floor. So he's used a color code because Grant has an entire plethora of salespeople in his showroom that are trained and experts at what they do. But yet, in the heat of the moment, you're very busy. Somebody walks in, wants to order something, and you say, let me check my computer. And you look and you don't have one in the back room and you order one. Maybe you should think about selling that one that's on the showroom floor and replacing it with a 2020 compliant version rather than letting it continue to sit there. I love it. Green dot, red dot. It's blue, a extre- dot. Yeah. extremely simple uh, your, for your sales staff. We have identifying markers on our signs that are, uh, you know, have different indicators and weekly uh, sales report that goes out every morning that has either uh, a featured sales report that is just everyday sale prices or specific inventory. And we have just been hammering wood on the specific inventory closeout list and uh, giving it target pricing and getting it out on the floor in front of people because they might not be in the wood stove market. They might be shopping for a barbecue, but they see that thing at a really good price and they might take advantage of it. So let's, let's keep remembering wood and pellet. That's wood right. And pellet. We always say wood. And I've walked into many showrooms. They say, oh, thank goodness, this doesn't apply to pellet stoves. I go, oh, contraire. <laughs> the rule does apply to pellet stoves. Yep, it really does. And I know for us, I mean, we've just been super practical. I mean, as a, as a company, it's made us adjust the way that we do our purchasing. And we've had to just be really intentional about knowing what's in our barn and what can and can't be ordered. And, and we're, we're in a really good spot. But I think that there's a lot of dealers that aren't. There's a lot of dealers that are placing blind early buys still. And man, if you are not tracking how many sales did I have last year? Do I think I can get that same thing this year? There's going to be a lot of people come May 15th, 2020 that are literally going to be taking these stoves to the landfill and losing thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in inventory. Well, Tim, and to the point that you just made, you're looking at what you sold last year. You can't just look at what you sold last year because you have competitors in your area. And those competitors have step one heaters that this is this whole NSPS, this this portion of the rule that's leading up to May 15th, 2020 is unprecedented because there's always been a sell through period and there's not one in this part of the rule. And therefore, when I walk into a showroom and says a dealer says to me, I just unloaded 35 units from my manufacturer that are step one heaters. I said, are you concerned about selling those? They said, no. I said, well, every showroom I've been in around you uh, is discounting. Don't you think that would have an influence on your sales? And he thought, yes, you're absolutely right. That would have an influence on my sales. So you can't just look at what you did last year because everybody in your market is also looking at what they have to do. And normally they wouldn't have done that. Well, Chris, you are stealing the thunder right here because we're jumping right into number three, which is be prepared for the discounts that are coming. Grant, I cut you off. Why don't you jump in here? Well, I was just going to speak to that. The discounts are coming and that's why we have to start now. I just want to throw out in regards to social media advertising and some, you know, I understand it's hard to sell wood and pellet when it's spring and summer. It's It's been a, a constant battle, but there's bargain shoppers always out there shopping. And so uh, I believe that 
you can orchestrate a, a campaign that starts now in removing that inventory before this huge demand and disco- discount war that we're going to get to here in just a minute. So uh, any retailer thinking about this, you can go onto Facebook and you can target certain areas, manufacturer homes to, to advertise these wood stoves to and advertise it in a way that's appealing to them. And discounts are probably going to have to come along with that. So I just want to speak to that before we get into the discount part. Now, in, in regards to the discounts, this is something that I, I, I believe is going to happen. And I don't know how many uh, feathers we're going to ruffle in talking about this. But I believe that, and I don't know because I don't think our industry tracks this, but the question I've been asking and unable to get an answer to is how much inventory does our industry have that we have to sell in the next 12 months? And is it three years, four years worth of inventory? And what does that going to force everybody to do? Earlier I said, hey, if you're not working with your manufacturer distributor, you might turn them into a competitor. Okay, well, Grant, on that point, I want to say that when the notice of public rulemaking came out earlier this year, um, there was a reference to a letter in that uh, public rulemaking of a letter I wrote to Bill Wareham at EPA. And I had estimated earlier in 2018 that there were over 80,000 wood heaters and pellet heaters on retail showroom floors across the United States. Then for the week of Christmas 2018, I went to Washington, D.C. at Jenny Former from Hearth and Hope Technologies, um, John Voorhees from U.S. Stove, and uh, the guys from Central Boiler, Mark and the owners, they were there. There were four or five companies represented personally, plus HPBA representing the interests of everybody else. That week, I had just conducted an updated survey of retailers across the United States. And the number that I came back with and multiplied out times the number of hearth retailers in the United States, both members of HBBA and non-members, that number came out to 82,000. That's a tremendous inventory. And is that just retailers, Chris? Yes. Thank you, Grant. Uh, great point. That did not include the other commercial owners of this component called distributors. It did not include a number for step one heaters that were in inventory by manufacturers. So that number is quite robust. And I was hoping that that argument would uh, make sense to EPA of why we needed an additional time frame for sell-through. Well, and I think here's the, here's the thing with this. Grant, to your point, that if we are not working with our distributors and manufacturers, it could get to a point where they become our competition. And not because anyone's got bad intentions, but when it, when it comes to, if, you, if you're a manufacturer and you got a million bucks in inventory that's sitting there, what are you going to do when when you you see that it's not going to get sold? I mean, I'm I'm not I'm not trying to put you know words in anybody's mouth, but at the end of the day, you got to do what's right for your company. And so the thing the thing is that we're talking about this now. We have a year and a week to deal with this, and so we just have to talk about that in the last few months before this takes place. There are going to be wild discounts coming, and you know, as Seth Godin says, the scary thing about a race to the bottom is that you might win. And so yes. it's so much better to be proactive now realizing that in particular the last three months before the deadline i think is going to get really crazy well i was at the great alaska sportsman show in anchorage just a few weeks ago and the the interesting thing is this deadline isn't generally known to the public at large it's known to 
the retailers, at least many of them now, thanks to you guys and your podcast, as well as HPBA, as well as the HPB affiliates. We got to give a shout out to the affiliates because they they do a tremendous job communicating the information to the dealers. But at that sportsman show, there was a consumer that walked up and said to the local retailer that I was there working with, said, okay, I'll come into your store on May 10th of next year. I'll buy this thing for 500 bucks. Wow. Yeah, I, I, I don't know where how to address that with the consumer part of it, but certainly um, you're talking about this the challenge for discounts and, and that type of thing, what's going on. I think every dealer has to bring their A game immediately, if not already hadn't been done so, they need to bring their A game to, bring, to reducing their, uh, the, their exposure just step one either. Well, and I want to say too that we got to think about diversifying our portfolio. I mean, because if you're a business that counts on wooden pellet as the majority of your sales, if there is any competition in your in your market, even if you're on top of the game, your competition's probably not. And so if you're sitting there trying to sell products at a fair retail price and everybody else around you is just price slashing left and right to where you're not even close to the same ballpark, you're going to be in a really tough spot. And, and Chris, you know, to your point, you've got Blaze King dealers that you know you've been very responsible, but that doesn't change the fact that maybe other manufacturers haven't or other competitors in the retail market haven't, and and it's really really tough. So so I think that we got to diversify. If wood and pellets been your main line of business, I would I would be bringing in gas and talking about gas and electric and other things. Not because you don't want to sell wood, but it's going to be tough in those last three months to be selling products at retail when all these discounts are going crazy. Yeah. Tim, to, and he kind of goes in line with what I was going to say. So to speak to that as a retailer, and Chris, you can speak to this a little bit more. I fully 100% anticipate uh, internet sales, huge discounts because of the excess inventory. You know, our industry has to survive and we have to get everything we can out of that product, whatever's out there. So, you know, if you don't, if you are relying on wood, I anticipate being down 30% this fall in wood. And it's it's directly tied to the marketplace saturation. Uh, Chris, can you speak to that? How do you feel about that? Well, Go ahead. Two, two years ago, um, I was the guy saying the sky is falling, right? Because I could see that dealers were not informed. They just were not informed. I'm not saying that people didn't try to communicate it. I'm just saying people weren't paying attention. And now they're paying attention. So, Grant, I don't know the Spokane market as well as you do because that's your your location. You live and breathe that air. But when I was in Alaska, back to Alaska for a moment, when I was on the Kenai Peninsula, I had one dealer who had a large inventory of product Step 1 heaters. I have another dealer who's two hours away that only had three Step 1 heaters left. Both of them heard the message from me two years ago. One of them took it very seriously. The other one took it less seriously because they said, we don't have that many. We sell so many a year. It's okay. The inference here is, to your point, Tim, is how is this going to strike me as a manufacturer and the other manufacturers that Grant's observation is I expect to be down because I have to get rid of all my old inventory. And I think that we just need to be aware that the discounts are coming. So the whole thing now is being proactive. So I believe that right now, like to the last point, if we start preparing our 2020 inventory now and we start just being aware of the fact that discounts will be there. Yeah, the discounting has begun. It begun a year ago. And I've seen that in showrooms in Maine. I've seen it in showrooms in Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Utah, everywhere I've been. 
Utah last just last week. The discounting is there. I saw two beautifully made, fine company, beautiful leader in cast iron wood stove sitting there for $750 off. And the reason they were discounting them at $750 is they're step one heaters. They, they feel like Grant does, that this is going to be a limited opportunity. There's going to be a lot of downward pressure pushed on them. And they want to get as much for it now as they can before it gets closer to that May 15th date. So moving into the next point here, number four is this, beware of manufacturers who are taking shortcuts. And this is not to badmouth anybody, but it's to bring something up that Grant, you talked about a while ago. And after you said this, I, I mean, it made just so much sense to me, but you said cleaner burning doesn't mean better performing. And that nuance is so important. And I want to tee you up to talk about that. Yeah, Tim. I mean, that's exactly that's exactly right. I I walked the HPBA trade show this year, and I was being sold over and over and over again on clean burning. And and to be truthful, clean burning is extraordinarily important to our consumers Absolutely. and to us, one hundred percent. But a consumer needs performance, and that's heat output, length of burn, control of of fire, easy start, things like that that the customer is looking for. And I wasn't being sold any of that. I was being sold clean, unproven technology. And it scared me a lot. So I, I don't think anybody is doing anything uh, knowing that it's uh, a bad technology or not correct or, you know, just sneaking it in there. I just believe that we don't know. And, and as a retailer, an unproven product and being sold over and over clean burning and, and not performance makes me nervous. Couple that with price increases and, and things like that, it, it makes me extremely nervous moving forward. Well, Grant, you're right. Clean burning and efficiency means less heat lost up the chimney. Less heat lost up the chimney means more draft sensitive. We need products that are going to actually perform in the real world, not just perform to pass a standard. Totally. Um, and and the advantage that we personally have is that we've been doing this for a long time, since 84. Oregon first implemented the first, long before the federal government got into NSPS work. The state of Oregon did it. And there was a knee-jerk reaction by manufacturers in 1984 to stay in business in Oregon and 91 different manufacturers of stuff catalysts into existing designs. What they didn't know was how those catalysts would perform over time. And that created a, a decisive anti-catalyst bias in our industry. Now you see a lot of new products coming to market, both catalyst and non-catalyst. And I'm not certain which ones are going to be uh, proven to perform long-term because this has all been done to meet a standard and a timeline that's very tight for the manufacturers. So Grant, I understand your concerns. I don't think any manufacturer is taking any shortcuts. I, when I read that bullet point, I wanna make it clear. I don't think anybody's taking any shortcuts. I do think they're being, some of them planned earlier than others. And so there is a provision in the rule that allows manufacturers to do beta testing through R&D stoves where they can put them in the field and try them. We do that. I know other manufacturers do it. I don't know which ones do or do not, but it gives an opportunity to see if this product works real, real world and not make the dealer into a guinea pig and not make the consumer into a guinea pig. There you go. And that's the point. And I think that that's, that's the big thing that we always want to remember that at the end of the day, everybody wants clean air. I mean, the heart behind NSPS is something I think that we're all behind. We all want to have 
products that are healthy and, and safe and, and keep people warm. There's no question about that. But what sometimes gets lost in this conversation is just because we're talking emissions, 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 I mean, number one, the difference between the pre-2020 step one stoves and the post-2020 step two, you're talking about a difference of like, what, 2% in efficiency? I mean, it's like when you look at the difference between a a stove that was 3.0 on the old test versus 2.5 on the new one, you are literally splitting hairs. But but outside of that, the big thing is that we, you know we all want clean air. We just can't lose the fact that just because it's cleaner burning does not mean that it's better performing. And so I think about the family that comes into my store that's that's low income, and if this is a very complicated product that takes extreme nuance that could be a very difficult situation for them where they're not getting the warmth and heat out of it that they thought because it's it's a different product. And I think that we have to be thinking about folks, particularly low-income folks who are going to be using this, we got to make sure that these stoves actually perform because people are putting their family's warmth and security at the mercy of our products. And, and, and Chris, I want you to speak to this a little bit more. You started off uh, on your previous, uh, you know, what you were saying. You started off by saying how clean burning and draft and, you know, air into the system and how, you know, what I'm thinking is clean burning kind of goes against the physics of fire and, and, and wood stoves and draft. Can you speak to that a little bit more? So if you make a stove that is overly efficient and you don't have enough stack effect taking place, enough draft, you're not pulling it in, somebody opens the front door of the stove and smoke comes into the room. And when that happens, then the indoor air quality becomes very challenging. And, and, and there's not enough air exchange within the home to deal with that. So we got to make sure as an industry that the products that we build will perform in the real world. Uh, with respect to turndown rates, with respect to burn times, that'll all get sorted out by the manufacturers, the retailers, and the consumers, and the marketing of those products. But we're talking about the health of the consumer and proper performance. Well, and the point that I want to make, too, because this is something, I mean, obviously everyone in the industry knows it, but if you're having conversations with folks about this, particularly regulators or people involved at your county or your state government, it's so important that they understand what we're talking about, that we are not talking about, you know, at surface level, you would think that, well, a stove that's uh, 2.0 is twice as clean as something that is 4.0, and it's not, because we're not dealing with these in a vacuum. We're dealing with, compared to wood burning naturally, it's putting out upwards of, what, 60, 80 grams per hour, we have brought that down to 4.0 or 2.0. And when you look at it that way, we are literally talking about a difference of less than 5% in efficiency, which, you know, we want to be as clean as possible. But at some point, you're sinking millions and millions and millions of dollars into something that there is very dilutive return on. I heard it put, Tim, uh, from a, a sales representative of mine. He basically said, I equate it to a Prius going from 51 miles per gallon to 55 miles per gallon. What do you what do you think about that, Chris? I think that's a fair analogy. Okay. Yeah, if it's at if we're if we're looking and chasing cleaner burning in the absence of understanding better performance and better air quality for the indoor situation, then that's a mistake. 
But I think that the the emphasis on clean air is extraordinarily important, but the difference it makes is very minor. But what we're getting lost on the industry is the effect it makes on the performance of our wood stoves. And especially in a secondary combustion air system, you're having longer startups because they're efficient right out of the gate. You're having uh, you know lesser burn times because they are more efficient. And it's just that simple. And so you know the the offset is is difficult. And us as an industry need to continue to understand it and address it. Yeah. So at the end of the day, I think you guys are right. And we just have to remember we're all about clean energy. We're about clean air. But we just have to remember that we need to make sure that everything that's going in is for the sake of performance for the customer so that they can actually use it and get the warmth and security that they're looking for. Moving on to the last point, number five, get the latest scoop from HPBA. I mean, this is kind of a duh thing, but there's a lot of, I can't believe there's companies out there that aren't part of HPBA. But the truth of the matter is that with all the misinformation and all the hearsay that's out there, we have to get the scoop from the source. And Chris, you mentioned that's HPBA and the HPBA affiliates, right? Correct. And, and again, there are thousands of HPBA members, but there are also thousands that are not members. And how do we reach those people? Maybe this podcast is a perfect way to reach those people because they're not getting an email because they're not on somebody's email list. And I'm just going to say that HPBA memberships are not that much and and it is absolutely worth being a part of because the truth is with with all this stuff that's coming down the pipeline, HPBA are the people that are organizing our industry and they're working on the front lines to I'm not even going to say combat this because they're just trying to work fairly with legislation. I mean, we want regulation. We want legislation. We just want it done in a fair and productive way. And they're the people that are representing our industry doing that. So that's where we have to be going. Yeah, I think our I think the retailers I think as retailers we rely on our manufacturers for a lot. And I think in this situation, uh, it, it's really emphasized the the unbiased and uh, uh, the the work that HPBA is doing and getting to us, I feel like uh, it's something that retailers need to take a little bit more seriously and understand that government affairs part of HPBA and what HPBA does for us is kind of the the crystal ball that we're all looking for. I can truly remember five years ago thinking, gosh, how how do I know when these are, are coming down the chute? How do I prepare my company, our company for this? And you guys, the retailers, the sales reps, the information is is coming directly through government affairs, HPBA, and I cannot emphasize that enough. Seek information and understand and, and HPBA and government affairs are, are the ticket to true unbiased uh, information. Yeah. I think there was a lot of ambiguity early on when the rule came out. Even though the rule's black and white and it sits on my desk and it goes everywhere I go. In the absence of any change to that, you have to go with what's in the rule. Uh, I'd make one final comment on, on, on a matter, and that is it gets asked of me every single time, every single location. What is the likelihood that I would get inspected by EPA? Uh, Grant, how many times have you been inspected in the small area that Spokane is? I've, I've been visited twice. And those were both times by EPA? By EPA, yes. And one of your visits, this comes to a conclusion here, one of your visits the EPA did had somebody from the state of Washington with them. Absolutely, yes. So it doesn't have to be a federal EPA staff person that makes a random compliance visit to your showroom. They can delegate that authority. On page one or page two of the preamble to the rule, there's a phone number that people can call 
to talk to somebody at EPA and a name is specified, ask for so-and-so if you see a step one heater on a showroom floor after the rule day. To this date, I don't believe EPA has imposed a single fine through a retailer uh, visit. I don't believe that's happened. I think that EPA has done uh, a pretty darn good job, certainly recently, of making sure that when they visit a showroom or they visit a factory, they want to make sure that the dealer knows those owner's manuals are supposed to be with the product. They want to make sure that the labels on the products are marked correctly by the manufacturer. There's things that they're doing that they're trying to help educate the, the retailer, I think, in advance of this deadline. And so I don't know that anybody's been fined. What's it going to be after 2020? What's the risk? <laughs> the risk is tremendous. Yeah. Um, there's nowhere in the rule that it specifically says what the, the fine is. But I know friends, I, I, I know people, I should say, at EPA, and I've heard that the daily fine could be as much as $2,500 per unit per day. So if you have something on your showroom floor six months or a year after the day that it was no longer supposed to be sold, I think you're subjecting yourself to a significant penalty. I think every single retailer in the United States that has a response has the responsibility to make sure they go through green dot and blue dot and make sure everything that they're selling and everything on their showroom floor meets compliance. I don't think they should say, this guy's not going to show up at my store because he has shown up in Wyoming down a three-mile dirt road. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I would not take that chance. Well, I think that you guys are dead on that you know, you got to go to the horse's mouth to get the information. Don't listen to hearsay. And the way that you do that is you get in touch with the HPBA. I'm going to link up in the show notes here to the local affiliate for all the different areas of the United States for the HPBA. And this is something, if you are not a part of this group, join your local affiliate. You know, this, these are these are organizations that are there for your best interest. And yeah, you're going to pay, you know, a small fee every year to be a part of that. But the information you get is going to be critical to knowing what you have to do and, and growing in the years to come. Very good. So in summary, I want to thank you guys for being a part of the show. This has been an amazing conversation, and I think that people are going to get a lot of value out of it. People out there, if you understand these five things, you can survive and thrive in spite of NSPS. Number one, believe the facts, not the hype. Number two, prepare your 2020 inventory now. Number three, beware of the discounts that are coming. Number four, be aware of any manufacturers that are taking shortcuts. And lastly, number five, get the latest scoop from HPBA. Well, Chris and Grant, it has been a pleasure to have you guys on. Any parting words that you have about this? I, I have nothing to add. I would just say as a retailer, it really is up to you to, to find this information and understand it. Uh, I just can't speak to how vital that will be uh, as you approach next year in May 15th, 2020. Well, you guys are doing a huge service to our industry, being the voice of reason, and we appreciate you coming on the show today. Thanks so much. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Tim. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. It was amazing to get the chance to talk to those guys. You've all heard Grant before. He is just incredible with what he's doing in Spokane. He, he has a very, very unique voice to this because he is so affected out in that rural area by the impending NSPS changes. And then Chris is just incredible. He is one of the most detail-oriented people I've ever met. He knows this rule inside and out. I mean, when we're having the Skype conversation, he's showing me he literally keeps a copy of the rule with him 24 hours a day whenever he's doing his work calls. It's marked up. It's got sticky notes on it. He is the right source of information. Now, 
again, my whole thing is I am ridiculously practical. So as I looked at all the misinformation that I was seeing out there, and I, I talked with Grant, with Chris, I, I wanted to come up with that document, the five things that we need to survive NSPS. And if you can do those things, I really think that you're going to be ahead of the game. You know, number one, believe the facts and not the hype. I think that we did a pretty good job of covering that in the interview. Number two, prepare your 2020 inventory now. I'm telling you guys, that is my MO, is we are we are all about this right now, clearing out the last of our pre-2020 stuff and putting ourselves in a great position. Number three, be aware of the discounts that are coming. We hit on this. Discounts are coming. Stuff is going to start flying off the shelves. And if you are not actively working with your distributors and manufacturers, you know, they might turn into your competition. So be aware of that. You know, be careful of people that are taking shortcuts. Cleaner burning does not mean better performing. Make sure that the products that you're putting into your showroom floor and selling to customers have been proven in the field. And then lastly, stay in the loop from HPBA. If you can get the scoop from them, you'll have the right information to make the decisions that you need. Now, I hope that this gave you great information, but once again, I'm going to plug this Facebook Live Q&A tomorrow. The whole reason the podcast came out today was so that you would not be distracted by it and you could tune in to this Facebook Live Q&A that's happening tomorrow morning. So here's the details once again. It's going to take place tomorrow morning, May 7th at 7 a.m. Pacific. That's 10 a.m. Eastern. And there's two things you can do. Number one, right now, you can RSVP by going to the website itsfiretime.com slash NSPS. And there's a big, bold link right there. You can click to RSVP for this event. Now, if it's tomorrow morning and you want to tune in to see it, you can go to facebook.com slash HPBA page. That's facebook.com slash HPBA page. And you'll be able to see that live broadcast and you can ask your questions on the air and we can answer them for you. I hope that this has given you guys some terrific value. I know that this is different than the normal business marketing and leadership content that we do on this podcast. But NSPS is such a critical thing that is affecting our industry. I wanted you to be able to hear from the best around what you need to do to survive and thrive. So I hope you have an amazing rest of the week. I will see you guys tomorrow live on Facebook. Thanks again for listening. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website itsfiretime.com music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time.